0: Ask N.T. Write Anything podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Justin Briley, Theology and Apologetics Editor for Premier, sitting down with Tom Wright to ask your questions once again. And the show brought to you as ever in partnership with SBCK and N.T. Wright Online. Today's show deals with some sensitive subject matter, questions sent in by listeners about what to do when we're let down by leaders, and the church. You can ask your own question of course by registering at our website, askntright.com. And registering also gets you news updates on the show, bonus content and more. And you get automatically entered into competitions and we've a couple more signed copies of Tom's acclaimed book, Paul a Biography. To give away to show listeners. Just make sure you're registered at our website by the end of April to be entered. That's askntwrite.com. And uh, if you're able to support the show while you're there, we'll send you Tom's exclusive ebook from the show. That's 12 answers to questions about the Bible, life and faith. And thanks to everyone who has supported the show so far. Just a couple of things to remind you about coming up soon. Tom's going to be speaking on Jesus, Paul and the question of God at Westminster Chapel. That's on the evening of Thursday, the 12th of March in London. And I'll be sitting down afterwards to interview him about the themes raised in the talk. And you'll be able to ask questions there. There's a link from today's show if you'd like to go along. And of course, not the only date for your diary. We're going to be enjoying a whole day of Tom's Thought and Theology at unbelievable the conference 2020 on saturday the 9th of may in london our theme is how to tell the greatest story ever told and it'll include a live audience edition of this very show westminster central hall saturday the 9th of may unbelievable live is the place to book your seat and early bird prices finish soon excited that we'll be getting both tom wright and tom holland together on stage for a chat as part of that Tom Holland is among the various other guests who are speaking at this year's conference and we'll be releasing the live streaming details in March as well but do book your seat at unbelievable.live if you can that's all the housekeeping out of the way here's today's show well welcome back to the show it's myself Justin and Tom sitting down together for another round of your questions and uh, Tom, we've got the breakfast things laid out again. We're looking forward to another session of looking at people's questions. Got some serious issues yes. on today's show, um, but um, just a quick recap: uh, what have you been up to over the last few months? Because <laughs> I see you well, here, there, and everywhere. You've been to America a couple of times. I
1: was in America uh, a couple of times in November and. Uh, then my wife and I have been moving house again this is the 16th time in 48 years and, <laughs> the saga and, of the house Well, m- continues. Maggie is wondering which clause it was in the marriage um, <laughs> vows that said she was committed to moving house every few years we actually were in Scotland for 10 years so this mm. is the longest we've, we've been anywhere yeah. so this has been quite traumatic from some points of view and uh, Oxford where we've moved to is wonderful from some points of view but it's far too far from the sea right? And far too far south we've become very much yeah. Scottish in our uh, outlook on things. You've, you've got so, this you
0: post at, at Wycliffe, of yes, course. Yes,
1: I'm. Um, I'm doing some part-time work at Wycliffe Hall. Um, Uh, glorying in the title of senior research fellow which means I'm an old guy who's (laughs) around the place and um, getting to know the graduates particularly and doing some preaching and teaching which is delightful. uh,
0: uh, Is it it nice to be back obviously you spent a number of years in Oxford? Yeah uh,
1: absolutely no it it is it's very strange it's like going back to the house you were born in I mean Mm. for us this is Oxford 3.0 I mean we had had our student time and then when we were first married that Mm. seamlessly one into the other then we were back for seven and a half years in the late 80s, early 90s. And so now it's nearly 30 years since we mm. lived there. Um, but some of the same people are still around, oh, yeah. looking a little older. But <laughs> I mean,
0: given you've got that long length of time uh, academically and, of course, pastorally, you've had mm. positions there as well as chaplain and so on, um, what... Um, What's changed, would you say, in terms of the student population, the kind of the feel of the university? Interesting. I mean, the buildings don't change much. The but buildings they'll, don't they'll change much.
1: Poverty. No, that's true. I mean, of course, one of the things you notice, and it's, it's trivial and obvious, but in the late 80s, early 90s, hardly anyone was carrying a mobile phone. Oh, well, hardly yes. anyone was walking down the street, apparently talking to themselves. And <laughs> only when you got close did you realize that they had a little <laughs> thing. Um, you know, the, the, that is weird. There yeah. are, if anything, even more bicycles than there were. You know, yes. you take your life in your hands if you step off the pavement in Oxford – <laughs> Swoosh! He has a bike coming, um, and 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 to my horror and and Maggie's astonishment, I have actually bought a bike myself. Wow! In, in my seventies, I'm relearning gosh, the gosh. cycling around. Well, it's the way to get around. Well, you
0: might bump into Richard Dawkins. He's might, grown, he, he likes a good cycle. And
1: one, one might quite literally bump into him. We shall see. We shall see.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, as I said, we've got a serious topic yeah. on today's program. Um, We're talking about people who feel let down by Christian leaders, sometimes hurt by the church, and some other pastoral issues that we'll try and get to. Um, But this particularly comes in the wake of a very sad story that came to light recently uh, of Jean Vanier, the founder of the Mm L'Arche community. Um, And I'll read out the question from Michelle Mm -hmm. in Guildford to get us started on this. Michelle says... I am reeling from the recent revelations that the late Jean Vanier, founder of the L'Arche community, has been found to have been guilty of sexual abuse towards several women during his ministry while he was alive. L'Arche, which provides a loving Christian community for those with and without physical and learning disabilities, has been a huge inspiration to me, alongside the writing of Vanier, who has written so profoundly on Christian community and discipleship. I felt sick to my stomach when L'Arche published its report, and to give them credit, they have not sought to cover anything up. During his life, Vanier was regularly described as a living saint. I never knew him, but this feels like a betrayal as I held him in such high regard. How should I respond when a spiritual hero like Vanier suddenly viewed so differently?
1: Yeah, that's a huge question. And uh, actually, until you sent me this question, I hadn't heard that bit of news. uh, At the
0: time of recording, it's only recently come to light. Yeah,
1: I've been very busy the last few weeks and just hadn't crossed my radar screen. And I... uh, I have a kind of a disconnect with this. Sure. I was, like many people, I imagine, one has known of Jean Vanier. I mean, I never met him. I never right. went to L'Arche. Mm. And I haven't actually read very much of his stuff. I think maybe one book. Okay. Um, but I know of his work, mm. and I know people who've worked mm. uh, there with him and uh, and so on. Um, I mean, I think one of the mm. things that the great Christian spiritual tradition teaches you is, is that the people who are recognized as greatest saints are the ones who are Um, most in fact conscious of their own weakness and sin Mm. there's a line in a hymn which says and they who fain would serve thee best are conscious most of wrong within Um, I don't know the detail of this I just saw one report which is online which said that Varnier and apparently his his own mentor Mm. um, had actually uh, either excused or explained um, sexual abuse of, of women who they were close to by saying that this was a, a different level of mystical experience yes. or something. Now mm-hmm. that, that that is very warped and, and, mm-hmm. and diseased really um, at the same time uh, rather like the Pope when asked a similar questions said who am I to judge? I mean the sort of sense that everybody all leaders not least when people are in the public eye they have weak spots I've often said to ordinance and so on uh, whatever your particular weakness watch out because mm. when you're in the public eye when you're in ministry mm. that'll be one of the places where an yeah. attack comes and you need mm. to be specially conscious of that I simply don't know the detail of this um, does it undermine everything he didn't said? no it casts a shadow on it but mm. um, maybe that's a way of saying that there's no no human being other than Jesus himself mm. who we should look at and say they are the absolute model.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. what we have to respect. we so frequently put people on pedestals, don't yep, we, that they yep. so easily topple from.
1: Well, that, that's right. And, of course, this happens to come the same time as we have the Me Too movement and Harvey yeah. Weinstein and all the rest of it. So mm. we're horribly aware and rightly aware mm. that for generations um, men have, quote, had their way with women mm. who seemed to be vulnerable and impressionable mm-hmm. to them particularly and that that's a warning and I would I would sort of hold this in the face of mm-hmm. the next generation of male ordinands
0: and so on and say now watch out because this can happen it, to you it, too. I mean obviously not the first and probably not the last sadly p- a person in, of a significant stature and responsibility yeah, yeah. Um, and there have been numerous sort of falls from grace of sure. major church leaders sure, over the last sure. several years and uh, and even significant scholars. So, you know, mm. when it came to light like, that John Howard Yoda, for instance, had, yeah, had, yeah, yeah, had you know, sort of had yeah. been guilty of, of similar stuff. A lot of people, it led them to someone who they greatly admired in terms of their theological work. Yes, uh, yes. Great, obviously, pacifist writer but then left the question, well, how does that leave me when I then go yes. back to his work? It, does it lose its yes, value or yes, something? Yes. What's your feeling yeah, on
1: that? I, I don't think – if, if an argument is a good argument, it doesn't lose its value if the arguer has some shadows in their mm. personal life. Um, St. <sighs> Paul would be the first to say – you know, yes, I have all this incredible shadow in my own personal life. As I was the chief of sinners, mm. I persecuted the church, etc. Mm. But at least in that case, there was repentance. I mean, yeah. that that's, that's quite a difference mm. between somebody who says, "Oh, I behaved like this, and that was mm. terrible, and I have apologized, and I've mm. said sorry to God, yeah. and I've accepted forgiveness, and I'm ashamed of this." there's a difference between that and somebody who says well it was trivial right. or um well it was uh, you know Tries it was consensual paper it over or something. yeah quite yeah. quite yeah. better to say no this is absolutely wrong um because we all do things of which we're ashamed um mm. and the idea that we're all aspiring to be 100 percent saints well from one point of view we are but from another point of view we're realistic or we should be and you know there is a reason why forgive us our trespasses, is in the daily prayer yeah, that we as yeah, Christians yeah. pray.
0: <laughs> and, and just, again, just to wrap this one up, in terms of the emotional yeah. point there, which is simply yes, that almost even though this person didn't know him I've seen this repeated by many people Mm -hmm, on my social media mm -hmm. feed saying they just feel betrayed personally almost um, because they held him in such high esteem he was such a valuable spiritual writer and mentor in that way I I mean
1: I would feel that if say something similar came to light about C.S. Lewis Mm. um, because I learned so much from him I don't always agree with him but if there had been a shadow side like this in his life um, and, of course, some people have tried to say, well, as a young man, this and that and the other. Yeah. But that was before his conversion, sure, and et cetera, sure. et cetera. Um, so, so, yes, and, and people that I know now who I hold in really high regard yeah, yeah. in the church, um, if something suddenly came to light, I think, oh, my goodness, I, have I been betrayed by this? And I think it's to do with something in our culture that either wants people on pedestals or wants them crashing down on the floor Mm. and isn't prepared to live with the real real complexity of life. Mm. Um, But but it also is a warning that, you know, Jean Vanier was a visionary. Mm. He saw that something needed to be done. And my goodness, it was a hugely self-sacrificial thing. Mm. And the emotional cost of what he did... um, I imagine, was eating away at him and was emerging in other unhealthy ways. And that's the point where one needs to say, we need structures of accountability. And Mm. one of the odd things about the creaky old Anglican system that I've worked Mm -hmm. in is that we do have structures of accountability. We don't always follow Mm. them. We don't always Mm. get them right. But um, I think particularly of people who launch independent church movements, Mm. they often can be the great I am within yeah. their own system and they're accountable to nobody yeah. and that's a very dangerous yeah, that's place That's always to be. dangerous isn't yeah. it
0: yeah. Put not your trust in princes Well as well the, well as quite, put quite. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is an anonymous person from Memphis Tennessee and again this is uh, coming from a personal point of view and it's a little lengthy but I'll, I'll read it out in full <laughs> um, This person says recently Professor Wright made a comment about Christian virtue as opposed to pagan virtue And I wonder if you could talk more about the differences between the two. This is the context of this question. They say, I often wonder, based on the teaching I have received and indeed the brand I received, what really is distinctly Christian and what have we claimed as distinct to reinforce our brand there are lots of good and decent people out there who practice some virtues much better than we christians and they have no real affiliation with the faith at all and those same christians who ardently teach the virtues as distinctly christian as if we've cornered the market on goodness have no idea what to do when faced with a case of sexual abuse for example my personal example comes from choosing to confront a past pastor slash abuser and having the church first sweep it under the rug then secondly sort it out only in ways that favoured the protection of their assets and insurance <laughs> benefits. The congregation who had shaped our entire lives spiritually evaporated. After all the years of Sunday morning fanfare, singing and Baptist preaching, here we were in crisis and no one had anything to say, pastorally speaking. We found solidarity with our local child advocacy centre, which turned out to be led, served and funded mainly by the homosexual and Jewish communities in our city. So what's the Christian distinction? And... Um, uh, adds 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 as, as an addendum here. Um, that personal story is actually my husband's abuser. Faith has never been the same for us since we confronted that darkness. And your podcast has been one of the very few things he has been mm. able mm. to hear mm. and receive. We usually listen together on a Sunday. Wow,
1: that's a, that's a real tragedy, and uh, my heart goes out to the the lady who's written that and, and the husband. Um, th- there 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 are so many layers to this, mm. and. I think when I've written about Christian virtue and and pagan virtue, obviously there are all sorts of crossover points because part of the New Testament vision of being a Christian is being a genuine human being and affirming and celebrating and living out the things that all human beings know in their bones they're called to do and be. And it doesn't surprise me at all that sometimes the Christians who are supposed to be doing that actually fall way short and ordinary human communities without a particular faith commitment or with a different faith commitment actually are pegging away mm. at doing the caring and the concern and so on but i mean the, the distinction that i made in my book um after you believe or the english title was um, virtue reborn was that there are some things which emerge in first century christianity as distinct christian virtues including patience and chastity interestingly and uh, the whole business of forgiveness and kindness, which mm. comes out very strongly in the early Christian teachings in ways that you wouldn't know from a lot of regular teaching and preaching. And people have sometimes said, do we have to obey early Christian morality? Mm. And I say, well, kindness, generosity, etc., cetera, et cetera. These seem pretty important yeah, yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, nobody much in the ancient world was doing that stuff except for, interestingly, the Jewish community within their own number, mm. trying to live yeah. as an extended mm. family. So when the early Christians tried to live as an extended family, my goodness, you need patience. You need a very clear rule of chastity because, as we saw in, a, in, a other, in another question, that's one of the places where, if you try to live as extended family, all sorts of emotions yeah. can come bubbling up and bad things can happen. Um, and I think particularly the ecclesial context that this person writes about, particularly the way that the business try tried to be hushed up, etc., um, that is so tragic and again however bad it is the Anglican or Catholic system of accountability of layers of mm. accountability ought to work um, in such a way that when something like that happens there is a larger structure mm. in which people can be held on to now, of course as we all know in the last generation the Catholic Church has um, been caught out very badly on this one yeah. and has done exactly what's described here and yeah. sometimes my own denomination too mm. but I would rather have some sort of structures of accountability than no structures, because then Mm. you just get that vacuum, Mm. which this person Mm. so tragically um, describes. And I think then um, it's also to do with the fact that so much modern Western Protestantism hasn't really known about how virtue happens, Mm. that there's been this sense that you hear the gospel, you say a prayer, so now you are, quote, going to heaven, so that's all right. Right. And then there's a sort of general assumption that you're supposed to kind of keep your nose clean while you're waiting for (laughs) heaven. But um, it's, well, you've already been forgiven. And if you doubt that, then you're doubting the gospel. So, um, you know, the the kind of the heat is off in Mm. terms of moral effort. Mm. And I want to say, no, sorry. um, The heat is on. (laughs) The heat is on because the Holy Spirit is the heat of God within you. And that's got to do some burning up of Mm. stuff which is there. Um, And and Jesus says, it's out of the heart that there flow all these wicked things. and that's it in, in Mark 7 when he's talking about clean and unclean foods. Mm. He says actually the real uncleanness is what comes from inside. And much modern Western evangelical and Protestant teaching hasn't really addressed that, mm. that yes, you are a Christian, you have come to faith in Christ, and now there's all that stuff which is bubbling up within you and we need to figure out what to do about that. And mm-hmm. that's why the practice and learning of virtue is like learning a musical instrument or learning um, how to play, uh, you know, um, mm. tennis or something when you're not a natural ball player. Yeah. Um, and you're gonna to have to practice it. And you'll get it wrong, but practice it more and it'll gradually come naturally. Whereas we have thought that, oh, if I'm a Christian and the Holy Spirit is working in me, then obviously whatever I want to do must be the will mm. of God. And mm. that's been the cause of some moral disasters, not just recently, but over the last century or two. And and it's time we actually got a more nuanced view of the role of the Holy Spirit and the aspiration to Christian virtue. Mm. And because otherwise, as this person says, the children of this world are sometimes wiser in their generation than the children of light. And,
0: and in a sense, I, I would say, well, no, Christians don't have the corner on being the most moral people. Yep. Um, there are many good non-believers I know, people of other sure, faiths sure, who, who, sure. and so on. And I think the question seems to be, and, and I've seen it in other questions that have come through as well for us, um, Shouldn't Christians somehow be doing better in general than the rest, if yes, you like? Yes, yes. I, I mean, C.S. Lewis faced
1: this question years ago, and, and he said, um, uh, yes, when you see some Christians, you think, oh, my goodness, <laughs> what a mess. And then he says, you have to say to yourself, just think how much even worse this person will be <laughs> if they weren't a Christian. Yes. Because actually, Christianity was always designed for sinners right. um, and was always aimed at picking up mm people who were in a total mess and rescuing them Mm -hmm. so don't be surprised if they've still got some way to go because we actually all have likewise even if somebody is doing wonderfully well but without christian faith think
0: of the extra dimensions Mm -hmm. that would be added to that person's life if they did have a christian faith and and i think inevitably from the non-christian point of view it's it's understandable that if someone claims to be a christian and then Mm -hmm. fails to act in Mm -hmm. a christian way then obviously there's a sense of Hypocrisy that might not be leveled against yes. another yes. sort of person. Yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, this this continues really with, with yes. Eric's question. Eric is mm-hmm. in California mm-hmm. and says, Given the theological importance of the church as the bride of Christ and as the collective body of God's agents in the world, how does one respond to believers who have been wounded by other Christians and are therefore hesitant to integrate into a church body or even identify themselves as Christians as a result? Thanks for your time. Yeah, I I totally
1: get this, and I know several people, including some quite close to me, who would exactly be where this person is and who've seen, as it were, the seamy side of the church and Mm. have said, Christians, no, please don't give me that stuff. Um, I've been fortunate in that in my work as a bishop, I went round parish after parish after parish in the Diocese of Durham. And I saw so many churches being real churches, welcoming people, being communities of healing and hope, being communities that the local um, uh, uh, city council or government officials Mm -hmm. would look Mm -hmm. at and say, at least there's somebody here who's helping us deal with drug abuse, deal with youth unemployment, whatever it is. And there are many, many communities which are beacons of light. Um, And it's tragic when some people only have seen the manipulative, the mm. abusive, the mm. bullying, etc. And I want to say that is not the norm. Yeah. But it's it's again part of the problem that if people think that by saying a prayer, by making a commitment, they are now okay, uh, there's no no nothing more to work at. Mm. And you know many. Christians today don't have anybody in the form of a spiritual director or a counsellor who they regularly check in mm, with mm. and uh, I've often said to, to, to clergy if you're seeing people pastorally you yourself need regularly to check mm, in and mm. and, and you know, like going to the dentist every six months whether you need it or not you, yeah. you need to go and have a once over and wait a minute there's something going on here mm. let's look in the mirror and see how you're doing with this issue and I think the failure of so many Christians to do that results in the kind of thing,
0: uh, wounding and and bullying yeah. and manipulative stuff. It, it, it's the the difficulty of of the way that church is because it is obviously a human institution at one level. Sure, and it's but it's the kind of institution where at its best it's encouraging you to open yourself up and be vulnerable mm-hmm. to other mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. in a community of love and friendship and sacrifice. But of course. By the same token, when things go awry, it can be terribly hurtful. Yes and, yes, and I think that's where a lot of people are coming from. You know, I've met so many people who have been turned off church yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. of some yeah, bad experience. Yeah. And and I think the question here is, what do you do with someone like that? How? how what advice can you give to mm, someone who's mm. saying, I just don't feel I can trust people anymore in the yes, church context yes. because of such and such? Well, I a bad I experience. I, do,
1: I do understand that, and I wouldn't want just to rush in and say, uh, never mind, you have to swallow hard, say your prayers and go anyway. Mm. I mean, there are some people for whom that's the right advice. Yeah. Mm. But there may be others for whom um, a, a previous questioner said that she and her husband um, listened to the podcast on Sundays right. and, and rather implies that that's almost the closest they can get to church just at the now. moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, if that's where people can get to, that's where they have to start. But it shouldn't be... Um, oh well now we're here that's where we're going to stay because there are in fact many many good christian fellowships probably within easy reach of most of our Mm. listeners viewers Mm. Um, and i think if one prays for the right christian fellowship god can and does provide that it may not come Mm. in the form you expect Mm. but to have people with whom one is worshiping because the danger of then isolating oneself say I'm just going to say my prayers at home Mm, and that's mm, good enough is that you're not then getting the stimulus and the affirmation and the Mm. acceptance and the and the friendship which ideally the church ought to be providing
0: Today's show is brought to you in partnership with N.T. right Online and SBCK Tom's UK publisher. And Tom will be speaking for SBCK on Jesus, Paul and the question of God at an event at Westminster Chapel, London on the evening of Thursday, the 12th of March. He'll be leading you into the lives and times of Jesus and Paul and show how a better understanding of the world of the first century can lead to a better understanding of what they said and did. With special reference to his three most recent works, The New Testament in its World, a biography and history and eschatology I'll also be sitting down with Tom afterwards to interview him about the themes raised in his talk and you can submit questions as audience members so if you want to get along links from today's show at askntright.com Let's move on to some slightly different questions uh, as we start to close up today's show um this was a rather interesting one. Um, they've said, I'll try and keep it brief. <laughs> uh, and Well, it was briefish. Uh, they say, uh, this is an anonymous one, but say this is almost a continuation of the recent question from a doubting pastor. That was several mm-hmm. episodes ago now. Um, this one says, I am the son of a respected megachurch pastor in the American South. And over the last few years, I've slowly moved towards Judaism and away from my Christian upbringing recently went through a rather jarring and sudden total conversion in the face of my attempts to double down on my Christianity. I'm trying to figure out how to tell my family about what for them will be a painful new stage of my life. I worry that my parents will have feelings of failure and disappointment in themselves and with me. Everything inside me wants to embrace and celebrate my new faith, but I can't escape feelings of betrayal, self-doubt and uncomfortable changes in dynamic that will happen when my family and many long-time family friends find out about my conversion and seem overwhelming. As minister and parents, how would you want to see a child of yours deal with a transition like this if it came to that? Yeah, I mean, as a minister and as a parent, um, one watches one's
1: Children and one's grandchildren go through different stages and phases. And um, however much you try to say, wouldn't it be good if we did this, or had you thought about doing that? They are themselves; they will go on their own journeys, and and so they should. Um, and there were many stages in my um, teenage life when my parents were deeply worried about the directions I was taking, particularly when I started to play the guitar. <laughs> um, you but uh, well, quite <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, that was a form of teenage rebellion, right there. Um, uh, and and I think take the long view, but the idea of conversion to Judaism, I take it that's what he's, that he's is, saying. Yes, yeah. yes, I think. This I mean, is the, the w- point. when he says a sudden and total conversion in the face of my attempts to double down on my Christianity, I wasn't quite sure what that meant. I think he was trying to trying to embrace his Christian faith
0: at a new lev- level and found himself yanked yes. into, into the Jewish Yeah, world. I, I, I assume so. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. and that's why this is a slightly different yeah, sort of question sure. to one we might expect. You might expect someone to be writing to say, I've become a Christian and yeah, now yeah, my parents yeah. also are having trouble yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, in this case, asking um, – and knowing that we're both Christians and therefore yeah, are, sure. are going to be in a sense – not, not, if you like, in complete agreement with his yeah. his choice to yeah, become I a, mean, the, become Jewish. There,
1: there are um, all sorts of difficulties here. And, and without knowing the person, without sure. being able to hear the full story, I'm not sure what's got him to this place. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on in his life. I'm not sure what he's rejecting, what he's accepting. Because I really do want to say... There's a huge danger in, and this is very much a post-Enlightenment Western problem, Mm. of seeing something called Christianity and something else called Judaism Mm. and comparing and contrasting Mm. them. Mm. And that's a very modern perception which doesn't do justice to the first century reality or the biblical reality. The biblical reality is, was Jesus or is Jesus or is he not Israel's Messiah? Mm. Now, if you say, well, actually, yes, God raised him from the dead, validating his pre-death messianic Mm. claims um you know king of the jews above Mm. his head and Mm. the resurrection says actually Mm. this this was true then if he is wasn't is israel's messiah then however we feel about that that Mm. is the reality and any Mm. first century jew would tell you that if god reveals his messiah then this is where israel is now being reconstituted that's a jewish perception it's not in that sense a christian perception Mm. over Mm. against judaism So the idea of Judaism and Christianity as two separate isms, it's very Victorian. And and I'm
0: interested to, I mean, obviously we don't have enough information here to know exactly what form this this Judaism takes. Now, if it is some form of effectively fulfilled Judaism, um, and and I have heard of a number of Christians who retain their belief that Jesus is the... The, right, the Messiah, right. uh, but, but kind of have moved into a much more culturally Jewish expression yes, of that yes, because they yes, feel somehow that's yes, more Yes, yes. Uh, and, and I, th- in, I think often
1: the church has de-Judaized itself so much mm. that then when people suddenly discover the riches of the Jewish tradition and particularly when they discover um, the, 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 the very meaningful round of festivals mm. and fast days and so on and how this can give shape and color and balance and so on to one's life – I can well understand how that's so attractive. And particularly within a free church context where you don't keep the Christian year, where you don't do Advent and Christmas and Lent and Holy Week and Easter and Ascension and all the rest of it, which is what I grew up with, Mm. then I know many in free church contexts who have none of that, have none of the traditional Christian shaping. And then when they discover the Jewish shaping, wow, this is great. You have Passover, you have the Mm. high holidays, Mm. and you have the the domestic... um, uh, routines which say that all of life has become a prayer, and, and yes. you know that that's a wonderfully attractive thing.
0: But I suppose your, your advice ultimately to this this man, if, if he has, if you like, rejected the the fulfilment in Jesus, well, is, is to look again. Um, I,
1: I would just say, please read the Gospels as first century Jewish texts. A good friend of mine, Danny Boyarin, who's a famous um, rabbinic and Jewish scholar, um, Orthodox Jew, um, he and I met once when we were both curiously in rome teaching on sabbatical at the gregorian and i said danny what are you teaching he said they asked me to teach some first century jewish texts he said so i'm doing matthew and james Mm. and i thought good okay (laughs) so i want to say to this man please read matthew as a thoroughly jewish book Mm. and just see Mm. what
0: that means as a jew and go on from there just as we as we close this out, I mean, just on the practical dimension of this, as he asks as ministers and parents, how would you want to see a child of yours deal with a transition like this if it came to that? I, I suppose this, this could be generalised into any sort yeah. of transition, yeah. as you say, uh, and most frequently, of course, what? is often happening in our culture is people who were raised in a christian context simply losing their faith and and ultimately rejecting it yes um and what what what's your advice both to the child and the parent in that situation where there may be distress on both sides
1: it's tough you just have to hang in there and go on offering love and acceptance and forgiveness and 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 doing everything you can together that you still can do together And, and making sure there are good festival times and there are good days out at a purely mm. secular level times when you can really enjoy and love one another and that imperative within family life remains yeah. whatever they actually mm. do and that doesn't mean that you are agreeing with or condoning everything that they're doing or saying or believing but that they are still your person yeah. and you are yeah. still their person, you're there mm. for them I mean I've always tried to tell my kids that you know any time they need to phone me they can yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, that's kind of basic it seems yeah. to me
0: Thanks so much for the time. Good. Some tough questions yeah, today. Um, and um, as ever, with anything where we do deal with things of a pastoral nature, as, as Tom always says, he's not your pastor via podcast. Do seek yes. a wise counsel, yes. Christians you can trust to, yes, to, uh, absolutely. to speak to. But uh, thanks very much for being Thank with you. me. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Next time we're answering more of your pastoral questions, a bit of a theme at the moment before we get into some more theological issues in the run up to Easter. But for more info on seeing Tom in London on Thursday, the 12th of March, and booking your place for his appearance at Unbelievable, the conference in May, do check the show notes and info at askntright.com. Of course, while you're there, you can ask a question by registering with us, and the giving links are there too to receive the free ebook from the show. Plus, get subscribed for the regular newsletter bonus content and be automatically entered into our prize draw to win a signed copy of Paul, a biography. That's all from me for now, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider. For more podcasts from Premier, visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts.